really warm welcome to the teaching ministry of New Life Church Crawley. We're a multicultural, intergenerational church. We believe in the gospel of Christ. We believe in spreading his love through his word and through his works. We really hope that you enjoy what you hear today. We'd love for you to connect with us via the usual social media outlets, such as Facebook or on our website. Uh, it's good to have you. Uh, we, we know uh, some of our friends from around the world uh, do watch, so they're not able to watch. I'm uh, not able to be here present, so we bless them. Uh, let's uh, do some announcements, and then uh, we're going to look a little bit at God's Word today. Kerry's got a great message that uh, is going to work alongside a little bit of mine as well, uh, so we're, we're going to let her loose into that. Um, so yes, if you are a guest here and you'd like to keep connected with us, you should have a welcome, you should have received a welcome pack. And in that there will be a welcome card uh, that you can fill in and give back to someone that you've seen up front or someone on the welcome team. For those of you online, you can also fill that in and keep up your co uh, contact details. newlifecrawley.church forward slash connect. So if you change your email and stuff like that as well, then that's a good way to let us know about that. Now, uh, we have a special announcement today. We, we announced it last week that Grace is going to kind of come and, and, and lead us in some prayer stuff. So, Grace, why don't you say something about that and lead us on. Thank you. Um, so, on um, prayer, um, prayer is very, very important. And I know when we come to church, we pray. But um, we need to emphasize that we need to pray at all times, like, you know, in our quiet times, even, you know, in our daily routines, just going about, we need to pray. So I just want us to, I was thinking, and um, Wednesday on uh, 7 to 7.30, we can just have like a time of prayer online, because I know a lot of you probably might be busy, you know, during the day and also I, uh, I think Wednesday 7 to 7.30 via Zoom, we will meet online. So, yeah, so we need to pray. So what is prayer? Prayer is the way in which we communicate with God. The Bible tells us that we can draw near to God through prayer. So bring him our requests. Ask for his help and he will meet us in our time of need. So prayer is like a weapon that we all, you know, that God has given to us. We can use that to speak to God. So I want to encourage you all to pray at all times because everything that we desire, everything that we need, whatever it is that we need to to walk this life comes through prayer, you know, so we need to pray. So I want to encourage you all, you know, in any way that you can, please join us online. And I'm going to post the link, you know, on Wednesday so you can come and, and pray. So to build your prayer life, because prayer is our weapon. Prayer, your place of prayer is your place of power. Always remember that your place mm. of prayer is your place of power. So everything that you need, everything you desire, any you know trials tribulations you take it to God in prayer and he answers so please come on Wednesday you know 7 to 7 30 if you can thank Amen. you thank you so we just want to develop yep you can clap if you want so we just want to develop that weekly rhythm and pattern so that every week um, there's at least that focused element of prayer so if you can do that then we encourage you to do that we also uh, will continue with our monthly encounter nights where we worship, seek, and pray um, as well. But let's get into that rhythm and that pattern uh, that we can do that. I want to talk a little bit about giving because I think that's an important part of our worship as well. Uh, and we, we should talk about that. It's good to talk about that. And one of the things about stewardship and stewardship of our lives is that when we demonstrate that faithfully, our increase our influence increases significantly. That's just something that's a spiritual principle. As we do that, then God gives us increase and God gives us opportunities because Jesus actually said, if you can't manage your money and if you can't put God in the right place in your money, how is he gonna give you true riches? And true riches is people and ministry and the things he wants you to do. So this whole area of stewardship is really important. And in the Bible, Paul repeatedly talks to the Corinthian church about this. He's not shy about it because he knows it's the only way that, can, that ministry can actually occur. And so he talks in 2 Corinthians verse nine, chapter 9, verse 2. 
He says, for I know your eagerness to help and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them since the last time, last year, you and Achaia were ready to give and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. You see, we influence other people. We are influenced by other people. And one of those areas that the Bible says, that also includes our giving. So when you see people give, when you hear about people give, when you hear about answers to prayer and provision and all of that, that motivates us to give. So thank you for those of you who give faithfully or give regularly. There's a number of ways you can do that. There is an envelope at the back if you're, you're a guest. You can scan the QR code if you're here or, or if you're online. Uh, for those of you who are regular, we encourage uh, you to give uh, by standing order because that's the way we can manage it. Uh, and we're going to be talking about another electronic way, hopefully soon, that you can give just to make it easy. But the principle of giving is the stewardship of our lives. And that's what we want to get back to. So we're going to pray just about giving because we want to be able to bless people like Shane and Katie because they're going to have needs, aren't they, going forward. And we want to be able to do that as a church and be a blessing to them in those circumstances. So as we give, we're able to do that. So Father, we do pray that as you bless us, that we would honor you with the first fruits of our giving. And that at the back of our mind, we would know that it's a stewardship of our lives that can influence and impact other people and causes you to be glorified. Help us, we pray, to take this area seriously and put you in the rightful place in our lives. Not just with our time, not just with our talents, but with our treasure. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And then one final announcement is the ladies' retreat. If you haven't heard about this already, oh, that, you're getting the clap, that's good. Ladies, you're, you're going away for the day um, down to IBTI College in Burgess Hill. So you can scan that code if I get out of the way and you want to do it on your phone now, you can do that. That'll take you to the booking place. A number of people have booked in already and Bev has sent out kind of some information about what you're doing on the day, what the plan is. And no doubt she will post that again next week because no matter how many times you announce it, somebody says, I didn't know. <laughs> Honestly, if I had a pound for every time someone says, I didn't know anything about that. Well, we've announced it 12 times. So you really should know. So get your ears on, get your phones out, book it in. You're going to have a great day. Um, they let me in on the first planning session. So I know what they're doing. After that, they went out and had lunch and did other things. And so they have a great day planned for you. You're going to have the opportunity to really encounter Jesus and get the space to do that. That's good, isn't it? Yeah. Amen. So Father, we, we thank you for your word. We pray your blessing on our hearts. We pray that you would anoint our ears to hear what it is you want to say to us this morning. That even before... We know what you want to say, that our hearts are open to respond. That our hearts are saying, yes, we want to glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you're a guest here or haven't been for a while, we're, we're still in this series called Meals for Jesus, where we're looking at this area of, of Jesus encountering different people in the Gospel of Luke in particular, and see what we learn about that. See what we learn particularly about the heart of God. One of the things that we learn is that God uses un unlikely people. Jason Ardy is a British sociologist. You should have a slide of, of that. And he's quite unique for, for a number of reasons. He's the youngest ever black professor in Cambridge at age 27. That's amazing. But it's even more amazing when you read the newspaper article that accompanies that. Jason is autistic and didn't speak until the age of 11. And yet he got the right support, he got the right people around him and he's now the youngest professor in Cambridge. Isn't that amazing? What God can do. God can use anyone. God often uses unlikely people. 
Today we're celebrating Pentecost Sunday, and if you don't know, we're in Assemblies of God Pentecostal Church. We believe in the work of the Holy Spirit, and, and just over 100 years ago, there was a, a massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and there was an unlikely person used, next slide, the good news is of the Christian message, God will use anyone. And William Joseph Seymour was an African-American preacher who was very shy. In fact, I've been told that at times he would have a bag over his head. He was so embarrassed in public that he, but he was a preacher. And yet he, he was blind in one eye as well. He had very little education. And yet if you go back in history, the Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles in 1904 to 1906, it led to the birth of the Pentecostal movement worldwide. Hundreds of millions of people who now follow right around the world. In fact, if you look around the world, the Pentecostal church is the fastest growing denomination or section of church around the world. In the Western world and in the UK, we, we think the church is dead and dying. It's not. It's a myth. And if you go to other parts of the world, you will see churches that are meeting stadiums, churches that are flourishing, and it's the Pentecostal churches that are doing that. But God did it through one, a one-eyed black man who everyone else despised. Carrie, there's some other unlikely people in Scripture as well, isn't there? And you're going to introduce another one to us today. thought David was going to say Kerry's an unlikely person, which is, which is actually really, really true. So um, let's just pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is relevant to us. We thank you that it's challenging to us. And we just pray that you will speak to us in the way that we need to be spoken to today. We pray you will challenge us in the areas that we need to be challenged. And Lord, we really do pray that as we think about Pentecost, we will really get to the heart of what happened and why it happened. Lord, we stand on your authority and we just pray that you will be here this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, Liz and Ian, do you mind giving out the packs, if that's all right? Um, there are some words at the back that could go out with the packs as well, if that's okay. They're sort of separate. Um, because um, we have got a candle, Pentecost candle, for you to make. It's got lots of different languages on it, because as we experienced at the beginning of the service, on the first day of Pentecost, lots of different languages were used. So that's what the candle's about. And we've also got up here, if anybody fancies it, there's, some of you might have noticed, this is meant to be Peter up here. And if any children want to come up the front and turn this sort of white, Thing into Peter that will be amazing as well so I'll leave it up to you if you want to okay so the first Pentecost the, Pente the first Pentecost was actually a fulfillment of a promise that Jesus had made it had been um, prophesied before as well but when Jesus was, was his, with his disciples he promised them and Peter was there he promised them that he would send his Holy Spirit. If we could have the next slide, that would be fantastic. Thank you, Bethany. And so in John 14, we read, when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I have told you. So this was Jesus actually saying this to the disciples. He told them that the Holy Spirit was going to come. And so 50 days after he had died, they'd seen him for 40 days, they'd walked with him, they'd seen him go up to heaven, they knew something was going to happen. So 10 days after Jesus went back up into heaven, the disciples were expectant, the disciples were ready, the disciples knew something was going to happen. I also think the disciples were probably quite scared, not scared of what God was going to do, but scared because of what was going on around them. It's really easy for us to think that people in the Bible just had it easy, that people in the Bible, because they'd walked with Jesus, because they'd met Jesus, they had everything that they needed. Actually, they had it tough. 
They really, we think we have it tough at times. Their lives were, could have been threatened by them meeting in that upper room. But they met in the upper room. And as we read at the beginning of the service, the most amazing thing happened. And the Holy Spirit descended upon them and started working in their lives. And they heard lots of different languages. They spoke in different languages. And the Holy Spirit was very, very present. Then Peter stepped forward. Now, any of you that have ever been in school and have taught in any capacity, when a visitor comes into your classroom, there's always that one child that you really hope they're not going to talk to. <laughs> that one child that is most likely to tell the truth, especially if it's an Ofsted and you are doing things completely differently to how you would normally do it. That one child will say, we don't normally do it like this. <laughs> I think that maybe is how some of the disciples were feeling when Peter stepped forward. Because maybe it should read, then headstrong, foot in his mouth, wrong end of the stick, get behind me Satan, deny Jesus three times, Peter stepped forward. Because that's where he had come from, that's his journey. And we're going to look back at a little bit about what, Jesus, what Peter had gone through and how he got to that point where he could step forward and deliver one of the most important sermons that we read in the Bible. Because he did. So how did he get there? Let's go back and see what he had to go through. Because he didn't get there just by having the Holy Spirit descending upon him. Let's go back and see some of the things that he did. So first of all, Peter was teachable. It says in John 13, wash my hands and my head as well, Lord. Um, the disciples had been with Jesus and Jesus had said to them, I want to wash your feet. And Simon Peter said, no way. There's no way you are washing my feet. I'm not worthy. You are not coming near me. And Jesus said, okay, you're not part of me then. And Peter said, okay, wash my head, everything that you want to wash. I don't know about you, but I'm very good at sulking. And I think if I'd been rebuked like, if I'd been rebuked like that, I think I probably would have stood back. But he, you look through the Bible at the amount of times that Jesus had to correct Peter. He didn't ever say, okay, forget it, I'm not doing it. He was teachable. He knew when he'd messed up, but he didn't stay there. He was teachable and Jesus taught him. So because of that, he then got to the point where Jesus could fully use him. Peter was always also excited. He definitely wasn't a sit in the back and just get on with it disciple. He was excited. He was the one that when they saw Jesus on the beach... Even though he just denied knowing him three times, he was the one that threw himself out of the boat and went to meet Jesus. He was excitable. That did get him in trouble at times, but that was his character. He really was on fire for Jesus even before Pentecost because he really went 100% out to tell people who Jesus was even though sometimes he got it wrong. So he was really, really excited about Jesus. He was also very thorough. When um, he went with John to the tomb, he was the one. They got there and the stone had been rolled back. John stayed outside, but he went in to really check. He went in to really check what had happened and to see whether Jesus was in there. He was really thorough. He didn't just do things half-heartedly. And so Jesus could use that to move him forward in his walk with Jesus to get him to that position that he was in in Pentecost. Peter was also really, really committed. It tells us in John 10, 28. And he says, Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you. I think sometimes I underestimate what the disciples did. They gave up everything. If you've watched The Chosen, you'll see that. That actually it f affected their family. It affected their lives. 
they gave up everything. And Peter did that despite knowing it could get him in trouble, despite knowing the personality that he had, he knew it was right to do. And so he was 100% committed to Jesus. And that's part of the reason why Jesus could use him, why God could use him on the day of Pentecost. Peter also took risks. How many times has God asked you to get out the boat? It's difficult. It's really difficult. Peter did. When Jesus said, come and walk with me, he walked with him. And okay, he looked away and started to sink a little bit, but he took that risk. I think that's one of the most difficult things about being a Christian. Because it's very easy to come to church on a Sunday. It's very easy to talk about Jesus when we're amongst other people that know Jesus. It's not so easy to do it when we might be laughed at. It's not so easy to do it when Jesus says, that thing that you told me you're never ever going to do, I want you to do it. That, what, that is what getting out the boat means. And that's what Peter did. He took risks. And I think that, Jesus, that God honoured that. And that's part of why he could then go on to do the amazing ministry that he went on to do. He was prepared to do it. As well as giving up everything, he was also prepared to get out the boat and to do what Jesus asked him to do. Peter also repented. I think one of the most heartwarming, but also quite hard to read passages in the Bible, is when they do meet on the beach. Can you imagine what Peter felt like? He knew that he, when Jesus told him he was going to deny him three times, he must have thought, I will never do that. I know how much I love Jesus. And yet he did it. And then he had to face him on the beach. And Jesus spoke to him three times and said, do you love me? Each time Peter said, you know I love you, Lord. I think that was full repentance. That was really him saying, I messed up and I'm so sorry. But I'm here now and I've learned from it. And we, sh we really see that he did learn from it because he then goes on on the day of Pentecost when he could have been actually killed for standing up and talking about Jesus boy did he talk about Jesus and so he did repent and I think that took him forward to be able to do what Jesus wanted him to do he was also filled so the day of Pentecost when the disciples were gathered every single one of them was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit came to help them to do what God wanted them to do. And so Simon Peter went from being somebody that people would probably really, <gasps> not Simon Peter, please don't let it be him, to wow, what a job he's going to do. And so Pentecost, what does it mean for us? Why did Pentecost happen? Let's go back to the promise that Jesus made. Can we go back to the slide, sorry, Bethany, with the Bible reading on? Because it tells us that, Peter, that Jesus had told the disciples that he was going to send the advocate. Sorry, the other one with the flames on, Bethany, if that's all right. Thank you. Um, he was going to send the Holy Spirit, and he called it the advocate. And the advocate... In Greek, paraclet, I'm learning all sorts of words here, but it's called paraclet. And what it means is that it's the one that's called alongside to help. So God sent the Holy Spirit, the one that was called alongside to help. But what was he going to help with? You think about the disciples. They were already going around telling people about Jesus. They were already healing they were already performing amazing miracles with the power that Jesus had given them. So why did they need the Holy Spirit? And I think that's what we need to think about in Pentecost this year. Because this one that was called alongside to help was called alongside to help God's church. He was sent to continue what Jesus had started to spread God's light into the most unlikely places. 
That's why the church started. The disciples could have stayed as a little gang. They could have stayed and done small little things. They could have stayed and met together, ate together, had a good time. That's what they could have done. That wasn't God's plan. God's plan was what he started through sending Jesus, what he started through the teaching that Jesus gave, he then wanted to continue through his church. And that's why the Holy Spirit was sent. The Holy Spirit was sent to do his work, to build his kingdom on this earth. More definitions of what the Holy Spirit is. It's one who encourages, who strengthens, who consoles, who enables, who protects, and who intercedes. So Peter's sermon was given so that everybody could start to spread God's love. It was so everybody could experience what those disciples had experienced by walking with Jesus. And that's why so many people, when they heard the message, were converted. That's why so many people then became Christians. But what did they have to do first? They had to repent. I think we forget that sometimes. When we look at Pentecost... We think about the Holy Spirit. It comes down, it zaps, it gives power, it makes you feel good. Before you can experience the Holy Spirit fully, you need to repent. Because that's how God can use us. We put up barriers. We put up walls that stop God. We quite often, and I've heard myself say it, God, you can come this far, but you're not going there. Because there are areas in our life that we think God can't enter. He can, and he will, and he does. And I think this year, Pentecost is really, really special because I think God is shaking up his church. I think God wants his church to be something different. I'll be honest with you, when um, COVID first started, and I very rarely have thoughts like this, But I remember praying and I remember God saying, my church needs to change. We, I think, have made his church into something he didn't want it to be. And I think we've also made the Holy Spirit into something he didn't want it to be. Because he sent his Holy Spirit down so that we can be a proper church. A church that is doing his work. But how have we sometimes as a church used it I think sometimes we've used it to actually divide us you think about all the different denominations one of the biggest things that they argue about is the Holy Spirit whether you should raise your hands in worship or not whether you should speak in tongues I think that breaks God's heart because the Holy Spirit is here to encourage us to build us up to give us the tools we need to spread his word out there. Not in here, out there. And that's what God wants us to do. And we have used it to divide us as a church. I think we need to repent of that. I think we've also sometimes used it as an individual comfort blanket. I think sometimes we pray in the name of the Holy Spirit. What we really mean is, give me what I want, God. Not what you want, what I want. And sometimes I think when we pray, we think that's done, I've prayed, covered. And I have to be honest here, and I'm really putting myself on the line. I had to really repent on Friday because I did exactly that. This week has been really, really busy. It's been amazing. God has opened up amazing things for us as a church this week. Friday was a full-on day. And I came into Little Stars. On Thursday, I'd had an injection in my hand. And the um, consultant said to me, this time, for three days, you need to not do anything with that hand. And I did genuinely pray to God, and I said, okay, this time I'm going to do it. I came to Little Stars. We were busy. It got to the tidying up time, and I started picking things up. And I have to admit, I was really, really in a grumpy mood for some reason. And I started tidying up. And there was one person in Little Stars, uh, a lady that we don't know that well. And she just sat there. All the other parents had gone, and she just sat there. 
And I started tidying away this box of toys and one of her children came up and started getting them out. And I was getting really, really frustrated. And I just got to the point where I was going to go up to this lady and say, it's time to go home. And God reminded me of a prayer that we'd prayed as a, as a team at the beginning of Little Stars. And we'd prayed, please God, show us those people that need our time today. And I looked at this lady and I could see that she was really upset. And I sat next to her and I said, are you okay? And she said, no, not really. And she'd split up from her husband. And her husband was meant to be picking these two children up. And she was hanging around because she was scared of seeing her husband. And she wanted to be somewhere safe. I had nearly let my agenda, my busyness, get in the way of being able to bring God into that situation. Isn't that awful? That's what we sometimes do with the Holy Spirit. We use it for our own yeah, I'll do that for you, God, but maybe not that. It was so important that God showed me, Kerry, I told you to sit still. And also, you prayed for somebody to come in that needed your time or needed my touch. She's there, and you nearly sent her away. I also think that sometimes churches have used the Holy Spirit as a fix on a Sunday. I think sometimes churches have said, come to church on a Sunday, wahey, everything's wonderful, now go out into the world and forget about it for another week. That is so against what God wants. God wants us as a church to be a church every single day of the week. When we had the children in from the Oak School, one of the things we said to them was that the church is not just on a Sunday. The church is a community, the church is a body. And I think that's so important that we use the Holy Spirit to show us what he wants us to do as a church. Not to just fill us. I think we're really, really, I think it's really easy to pray for revival. I think it's really easy to say, please God, send your Holy Spirit. Please fill us. Are we actually ready for that? Not just us, I'm not nagging us as a church, but as a church, as a national, as an international church, are we ready for revival? Because I'm not sure we are. Are our hearts really for those people out there? There are people out there that are hurting. There are people out there who suffer in a way we can't even begin to imagine. They need Jesus. That is why Pentecost happened, so that Jesus can get into those places where otherwise he wouldn't be able to go. Who's the, who are the only people that are going to shine Jesus there? It's us as a church. And so Pentecost, I really believe God is saying to us as a church, to us as an, a national church, do my work, send my love, reach those people that need me. We're the only ones that can do it. I was really privileged to go on a conference a few weeks ago, and it was one of the most profound experiences I've ever had. Some of you may have heard about Asbury. Over in America, there was a, a Christian college, and they started having what they felt was a revival. These students were in a normal service, and it got to the end of the service, and they said, we want to carry on worshiping. And they carried on worshipping. And God's spirit descended in a way that they had never experienced before. And this went on for three weeks. And people all over the world were saying, this is a revival. Something's going to happen. And it did. It was an amazing time of God's presence. When I was at this conference, one of the tutors and three of the students from Asbury were there. And they were talking to us about what had happened. And one of the things they said was the biggest thing that God needed was repentance. And so we started praying at this conference and we were talking about God's spirit and about revival and what it meant. And these, this tutor said, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And he started to lead us in a prayer. So there were over 5,000 Christian leaders within this conference from all over the world, from every denomination, and his prayer was, we need to repent. We need to say sorry to God that we've let him down as his church. 
5,000 Christian leaders got on their knees and repented. It was silent. There was no hype. There was no noise. Every single Christian leader repenting for what we've made the church. And I think that's what God's saying to us this Pentecost. The second thing that this tutor said about this mini revival that was going on was unity. The first Pentecost, every language was heard. They didn't pull apart. They didn't say my voice is more important than your voice. They were unified. When the disciples worked in unity, things went well. When they started competing with each other, when they started doing their own agenda, that's when things started to go wrong. We as a church need to make sure we are 100% in unity. It doesn't mean we have to agree on everything. It doesn't mean that we all have to have the same opinions. But it means that we love each other with a love that people, when they walk into a church building, say, wow, there is something special here. Can you imagine that first Pentecost? There must have been such an amazing atmosphere. There must have been something so special. Every single church can have that when we work in unity and when we really pray to God and ask him to do what he wants to do. But that does come at a cost and that does come with a risk because it means we've got to be vulnerable. It means we've got to really say to Jesus, okay, I'm getting out the boat. Where do you want me to go? Because you might not like the answer. I've learned that. Because there are times that God will tell you to do something and you can't do it. You say to yourself, I can't do it. It's not me. I haven't got the skills. I don't like standing at the front. I don't like talking about things that are going to upset people. I can't, but God can. And when we start as a church really, really thinking about what God wants us to do, where does he want us to reach? Where does he want us to take that advocate and place it into other people's lives? That's when he can really show us what his power is. And I think that's really exciting. So Pentecost. Is Pentecost this year the time for churches to repent? Is it the time for us to really come together in unity and do the work that Jesus started? Let's go back to Peter's list, those words that we use to describe him at the end, and think about what that, how that affects us. Because we said by the end of it, Peter was teachable. He was excited. He was thorough. He was committed. He took risks. He repented and he was filled. Because of those things, he had everything he needed to step forward and to deliver the most amazing sermon. That's what we need to be as a church. That's what we need to be as individuals. I'm going to finish with um, a story that I heard a long time ago and it actually really, really impacted me because I have always struggled with whether I'm good enough to do what God wants to do. And I heard this story and it just made me smile because it's a story of a man that went into a hotel and was staying in the hotel and he could hear from the lounge of the hotel some piano playing and it was awful. It was a little boy playing the piano and it sounded really bad and it was going on and on. Anyone that's ever had children that learn a musical instrument, they have to practice over and over again. And this boy was playing the piano and it was really driving this man mad. And he'd got to the point where he thought, I'm gonna go and complain. And then the music changed a little bit and it started to sound a bit better. And he thought, I wonder what's happened. And he went down and he saw that the little boy now had his brother next to him. And his brother was playing a different tune, but it was starting to sound okay. And so the man thought, oh, I might leave it. By the time he'd got back up into his room, the most amazing music was coming from this piano. And so he went back downstairs again and had a look to see what was going on. The boy was still playing the piano quite badly. 
His brother was still playing the piano, a little bit better, but still quite badly. But their father had come and joined them and was playing completely different notes. But together, those notes were producing something beautiful. That's what God's church is. We try our hardest and do our little bit with our limitations and with all the hang-ups that we've got. If we come together as a church, we can do even more. But if we come together as a church, letting the Holy Spirit fill us and lead us, wow, what a difference we could make. I think that's what Pentecost is about. Thank you, Kerry. Just turn back to Acts chapter 2 for me, and we're just going to draw things to a close. I think there's some important elements in that message for us all. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, to those far away, and to all who've been called by the Lord our God. We need to repent. The church needs to repent because we've made the church about us by and large, haven't we? We've made it a club. We've made it, it, it meets my needs. It's what I want. I like this music. I like this person speaking. I like this. I like this. I don't like this. We've made it all about us. And it's not your church. It's not my church. It's his church. And he gives some specific commands about that. We, we need to repent of some of the things we have said about this church, about other churches, about our attitude towards church. That repent is not just about saying sorry. Repentance means to change your mind that leads to a change of actions. Our lifestyle has to change. Our, our idea of commitment to church has to change. I know in many circumstances that's a very dirty word, but actually we need people to be committed to the life of local church. Because that's the way it grows. That's how we function. That's how we function as a body. I wonder in your life, where do you need to repent? You also may need to receive. The good news is God is longing to pour out his Holy Spirit in our life. In Luke 11, he says, if you're a father, you know how to give good gifts to your children. You want to, to be a blessing. How much more will your father in heaven, how much more... How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So we can receive the Holy Spirit. It's not about you being all righteous. It's not about you being holiness. We know from, from Peter, Peter was a bit of a mess, wasn't he? Let's be honest. Even right up to Pentecost and, and even afterwards, he had to be challenged publicly by Paul because of his hypocrisy. So don't get this idea that the early disciples were somehow more holy and they were all kind of saints and walked around with halos around their head. They were ordinary people like you and I, but they did receive something of the Holy Spirit. And that's an ongoing thing that, that Paul goes in to say in Ephesians 5. He says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. That encounter with the Holy Spirit is not meant to be a one-off experience that we kind of chalk it up and say, oh, well, I've had that done. You know, when you get double glazing and then you forget about it, or you get sent to a heathen and we were never allowed to turn ours on, but we had it installed. <laughs> it's true. Many people, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. You have him installed, but you ain't turned the switch on. We need to receive the Holy Spirit and allow him free reign in our life. But that will only happen if we're willing to repent. Because sometimes God will come and say to us, all right, you want to do your own thing? Knock yourself out. And he'll just take a step back and he'll allow us until we come to that place where we go, God help me. God help me. We need to repent we need to receive and, and all of that is not so we have a nice little club and we pat each other on the back. It's that we might reach people. This promise is to you, your children, and to all those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is not for a, a good feeling on a Sunday morning. His work in our life is that he might reach out to those who are lost. We had 120 kids in here this week I nearly had to have a lie down afterwards. 
Bev came in and said, you're very quiet. <laughs> it, it was hard work, but it was great because we took the opportunity to reach out to the local school. And you know what? It's very easy to sit in church. It's very easy to just receive all of the time. But actually, God wants us to reach out. And that means sometimes being uncomfortable. That means sometimes not getting your own way. That means things changing. That means messing things up. But we have to have that commitment. Because in Luke chapter 19, one of the people that Jesus had a meal with, you'll know the story, was, was Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a very unlikely character to be used by God. He was, he was a tax collector, which, which meant really he was isolated socially. He was isolated religiously, religiously couldn't go to the temple. He was very wealthy. He had all the material stuff, but actually his, his life was empty and he knew that. And he came searching for Jesus and, and Jesus says, do you know what? I see something in you. Other people may not but I see something in you. I want to come and have a meal at your house today. And we don't know all the details of that story in Luke 19, but something clearly happened. And he said, if I have wronged anyone, I'm going to give back four times. Following on with the Jewish law, four times. And there was an incredible sense of repentance because repentance isn't just about a feeling. It's not just about... It's some tears. It's not about saying sorry. It's about changing. Luke 19 verse 8. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay that back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man keep came to seek and to save the lost. You see, that's the purpose of Pentecost. And if you're not sure about that, go into Acts chapter 4, and twice in one day, Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 4 verse 8, it says he's filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 4 verse 31, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. What happens when Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit? It says that he spoke the word of God boldly. Don't get hung up in tongues. It's like shoes. Some shoes have tongues. But some of you are wearing sandals this morning. And they don't have tongues. Don't get hung up on the shoes you're wearing, whether it's tongues or not tongues. Because the work of the Holy Spirit is not about tongues or no tongues. It's about boldness to proclaim the gospel. That's right throughout the book of Acts. Go and look at it. Every time they're filled with the Holy Spirit, the word of God is proclaimed boldly. Maybe that's what we need to repent of. That we've become very selfish, that we've become very self-centered, that it's about me, myself, and Irene. <laughs> Nobody called Irene, we're okay. Uh, <laughs> folks, I honestly think the church needs to repent. I do. I think we need to repent of being so insular, of being so self-satisfied, of thinking about, well, who's going to meet my needs? Who's going to look after me? Who's going to be there for me? If we're all functioning as the body, as a community, then there will be people alongside. It may not be me. You might be glad of that, but it may not be me. But there will be some, someone if we're functioning as a body. Because the purpose of the Holy Spirit is not simply that we have a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's that we reach people. And I want to ask you as an individuals, as individuals, <clears throat> are you committed to the work of repentance in your life? Because it's not just a one-off, is it? Are you committed to receiving from the Holy Spirit? Listen, it's not about good programs. It's not about what we put on. It's receiving from the Holy Spirit. He is the, the engine. He's the power in our life, as Grace said earlier. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Acts 1 verse 8, what does it say? And you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. We need to receive the Holy Spirit. And then we need that commitment to reach other people. Honestly, I ask you sincerely today, 
Because Jesus said he came to seek and save the lost. Is that your heart? Are you just interested in playing church? Are you just interested in getting your needs met? Are you just interested in filling some time on a Sunday morning because people are nice, you get a cup of coffee and a biscuit or cake after it? I don't know, people do for all sorts of reasons. But can we honestly say this morning that we're committed to repent and live a lifestyle of repentance? That we're committed to receive, that we're committed to reach. Jesus came seeking the lost. He came as a saviour. And if you're here this morning or you're listening online and you've never taken that step, it can be easy as sorry, thank you and please. Sorry that you've lived life your own way independently of God. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross. Please come into my life and help me to follow you. It can be as simple as that to make Jesus your saviour. Maybe you need healing. Maybe that's physical healing. Maybe that's emotional healing. Jesus is the healer. That's what he came to do. 34 times in the Gospels, he came to individuals, not just to crowds. He came to individuals with his healing presence and his power. We've heard it prayed this morning. Jesus said he came as the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. That's what he was announced as. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The Holy Spirit and fire. Fire to burn up all that dross, all that selfishness, all that self-centeredness, all the stuff that needs purified. He comes as the baptizer. And then there's one other thing the Gospels talk about and Paul talks about. He comes as a deliverer. Whatever addictions, whatever habits, whatever bondage, whatever oppression we are facing or our families are facing, Jesus comes to set the captives free. That's what he came to do. He comes to set, so you do not have to live in fear. You don't have to live in bondage to anything sexual. You don't have to live in bondage to anxiety. You don't have to live in in any form of oppression because Jesus came, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to set the captive free, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the heart of God. That's the message of Jesus. He's coming to seek and save the lost and he uses us to do that. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians, if you were in our midweek studies this week, then you would have been familiar with this verse. Colossians chapter two, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. If you're a follower of Christ today, if you're born again, this is what God has done for you. This is why he came. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned it. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So when Jesus cried, it is finished, that wasn't a cry of defeat. He wasn't giving up. He said, the debt has been paid in full. That's good news. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. See, the work of Jesus is to set us free. Whatever area of bondage, whatever oppression, you do not have to live in that habit. You do not have to live in that addiction. Jesus disarmed the principalities and the powers so we can be free. That is part of the gospel message. That's what he said. That's what he brings to us. But truthfully, we may need to repent in order to get to that place. We may need to say, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want that lifestyle. I don't want that habit. I don't want to live like that. We may need to get to the place of repentance because I have found in 30 years of ministry that if we will get to that place, then nothing can have a hold on us. When we speak to those powers and those authorities, they don't have a hold on us if we're in that place of, I don't want you, I don't need you, get out, get away from me. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to set us free. So the question for you is, are, are you living that, in that freedom? Are you living in that freedom of the Holy Spirit where the Spirit of the Lord is? There's freedom. 
Are you living in the freedom of the Holy Spirit today? In a moment, we're going to finish with a little video clip. Because so often, we can put ourselves in boxes, can't we? Oh, that's all right for Carrie. Carrie's a teacher. She's done that. She likes being up front. But actually, I know, and Carrie said it herself, sometimes she struggles with that sense, I shouldn't be doing this. I'm not good enough. That will surprise many of you. But sometimes you don't know what's going on in people's life, do you? You don't know the struggle. You don't know the journey. You don't know the battle they have, maybe even to get here. But God, the Holy Spirit, come in. And so often we put people in boxes. And so often we put other people in boxes. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. Let's not put God in a box because he wants to reach everyone. Can we show the video? Make sure it's nice and loud. And then I'll just come up and close in prayer. It's so easy to place people in boxes, drawing lines, creating sides. There's us and there's them. Those we feel comfortable around and those we don't. There are those of us with many chapters and those just starting their own stories. There's the well-to-do and those doing what they can. There are those we share something with and those we don't seem to share anything with. Welcome and thank you for coming today, guys. Today I'm gonna be conducting an experiment uh, where I'll ask you a series of questions. Now these questions will be very personal questions and for us to get a true result, I need you to be completely honest with how you respond. The first question I have is who in here was the class clown? is never on time. And then there's us. We who have tattoos. We who feel lonely. Created in the image of God. 
as one body, we stand together. United as one under his grace. Father, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that you would help us repent of the times we've put ourselves in a box. Lord, where we've put other people in a box. Father, where we've put you in a box. Lord, help us to turn away from that and turn to you that we might receive the fullness of your spirit, all that you have for us, that we might be a people who reach out to others. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. So God bless you folks. God bless you if you've been watching online. Thank you for joining with us. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope that you enjoyed the teaching. We'd love to hear from you, so please contact us. All the details can be found on our website. God bless.